From the Guinness version and 91.1 WZBT, I'm Gary Mangala, and this is On Target. I'm Mary Frazier, and today on Target, we will be discussing the college's de-densification. Then, I will sit down with Alexandra Sikhanimu-Garcia to discuss the state of diversity and inclusion in Student Senate. Stay with us. And let's get into it. Uh, so these last couple weeks have been a bit interesting. Um, if you are an avid listener of On Target, you know that the last recording we did, uh, Mary and I were just entering the all-student quarantine that Mary liked to dub Armageddon. I did, in fact, dub it Armageddon. That is true. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, and now we are post-dedensification. So a week later, the college moved into a model of dedensifying campus, specifically of all upperclassmen, uh, sophomores, juniors, seniors that did not have it, um, outstanding circumstances or petition to stay or international students uh, were sent home. So now campus is about 900 students. Uh, it is mostly first years as well as, like I said, international students, some upperclassmen that have some you know, projects or capstones that are easier conduct, to conduct on campus as well as students with housing insecurity and the like. Uh, students on campus are being tested uh, once a week and are no longer under any sort of curfew that they used to be under. Um, but are still obviously expected to follow the student health agreement. Now, I'm still on campus for uh, the foreseeable future for capstones and things like that, but I know you are home, Mary. So what has that moved to? I know last time you went remote, you were doing abroad work from home, but now you're doing Gettysburg College work from home. So what is that? what's that been like for you so far? Um, it's been an adjustment. Um, I was definitely very thankful for the first week of not having classes to like move in and get everything um, organized. Um, it's, I mean, like going to the actual classes is still the same. I had two online and one in person and I was planning on going in person for that third one anyway, um, just because um, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, like someone in my class would never wear their mask right. Um, and so it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, I'm an only child, so I don't have to like really fight for like quiet in the house, which is nice. Um, but it's still, you know, I have parents be bopping around that like want to chat and like I'm constantly doing work. And there's this definitely like strange, like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I really, like, shouldn't be, like, responsible for doing all of these things and, like, going all these places. Like, I'm not even supposed to be here. Um, like, vibe going on, but I'm one of the lucky ones. Like, I have a really good home life. My parents and I, like, get along really well. Um, so I don't have, like, entirely that much to, like, complain about. It's okay. <laughs> I don't mind being home. Um, but it's definitely like harder to work in an environment where you're not surrounded by people that also need to do homework 24 seven. Um, so that's definitely something different. Um, Cause like I'll be in like our living room writing a paper and my dad will be like dozing off in the chair and I'll be like, huh, I really wish I could take a nap right now too, but I can't. Um, 
So yeah, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but we're hanging in there. It's nice to be home and be with my family because I'm a family person. So it's like good and bad both ways. <laughs> now we just recently um, have been moving into this like listening session portion of, I think, I would say the uh, damage control <laughs> session of what's going on now. Um, uh, President Giuliano has kind of developed these listening sessions for small groups to meet with him and talk about everything that happened. So that's mostly students and parents. But from what I've been hearing, it seems as though there's a new narrative coming through through these listening sessions that we didn't hear. Um, so parents are being told that one of the reasons we were sent home that Friday was because there was over 200 students that were in violation of the health agreement. We never received those statistics um, in any emails. And also from, I think, the experience of many students on campus, most of the issues that we had were that health violations didn't seem to be receiving the proper sanctions that we were told they would through the, um, the rubric that we were given at the beginning of the semester in terms of how, like what happens if you violate the health agreement. And that still seems to be the case. I think that many students are fearful that are on campus now that health violations are still not being taken seriously. So I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm a, I'm a house leader and now I've moved into kind of a more intensified like res life staff member thing because now I have first years living in my house. So I have like 10 first years who live here and then seven upperclassmen. So then because of that, uh, that's, that's more people. And a lot of the first years right now are experiencing this kind of segregation from the rest of campus because they've kind of been segregated this whole time like they're the first years and then there's the rest of us um so you know they're all hanging out in their rooms they're not masking a lot of them aren't and there'll be five or six kids in a room and then like you can report them but like it's happened what has happened has happened um and I think it's moving into this world of now it's not like a party that needs shutting down um it's more low-key things, but now it's like, what can we even do? Which feels kind of hopeless when we look at, you know, three weeks ago, a lot could have been done, I think, to shut down parties and, like, larger gatherings. Um, it's really, really interesting to see that the way that this is all going, I feel like a lot of people are very angry for a lot of reasons, so we were given a well, resident remote students were given a 10% uh, rebate on tuition and were given 80% back of their room and board. Uh, and the decision to only give remote students, either students who had been remote this whole time or students that moved to remote in the last couple of weeks like Mary did, uh, was in the idea that their education had been disrupted from this move. So the argument is that only remote student, only the remote cohort has had their education disrupted. Um, a lot of residential students feel as though their education has been just as disrupted 
Um, student employment has been very interesting for a lot of students on campus, as well as a lot of students off campus of trying to figure out if they still have a job or not. Um, as well as some students have had their classes moved to online, even if they are on campus. And I think it's just been really interesting to see how the decisions that the college has made have been um, either supported or questioned. It seems like it's a lot more of questioning than supporting lately. Um, Mary, for you, and this is like not even just about like official college, um, you know, uh, communications, but like I'm getting all these emails saying all these virtual activities and things that students here and in remote can do. How are you receiving those? Like, what's it like to get this list of events that you can like go on Zoom to do at 7 p.m. on a Thursday? Like, what do you, how do you, have you been like absorbing that? I don't, I don't know. I think I'm, unfortunately, I cannot speak for the masses of people that were sent home. Um, I am definitely someone who, when I'm home, I'm, I kind of go off the grid when I'm not at Gettysburg. Um, like, if you ask my, like, tight-knit friend group that I spend a lot of time with, like, it's very hard to get me to respond in the group chat over the summer. Like, I don't really like leave my hometown in the summer. Um, I'm definitely like a homebody when I'm home and I'm like here when I'm here. So unless it's like an event for a class or an event that I like really find like the subject matter interesting or if it's like really something I would enjoy, I really don't participate. And I also, I also think it's different as like a senior as like compared to a sophomore say. Um, I have my group, I have my activities. If I can do them from home, I'm doing them like the podcast, like the Gettys version. Um, like I'm a fielding fellow this year, that hasn't stopped. You know what I mean? So it's not, I don't feel as disconnected as someone who isn't involved in like a thousand different things might feel. I have my sorority where we still have like chapter every Sunday. So like, I'm still, like involved I don't feel like the semester halted even though I'm not in Gettysburg anymore um but I can definitely see someone who like hadn't gotten involved as much as a freshman and as now as a sophomore and decided like okay this is you're going to join things and then like how to be sent home I could see that being really rough um because yes there's like online events but if you don't have like a really strong connection with a good group of friends like this could definitely be a very isolating time um, so I haven't really participated in any of the online events, um, but like I said, I'm a homebody <laughs> in general, um, so I, I haven't felt like the college is doing a poor job reaching out and, like, checking in, but I also feel one thing I was thinking about the other day, and this isn't necessarily like bad on the college because they probably have like their hands extremely full with like students who are still on campus. But I feel like other than the occasional like mental health thing here and like various, like this is the tuition being sent back here. There hasn't really been a like, hey, like cohort that went home, like what's going on? You know what I mean? I feel like we haven't really been updated. Like I, um, 
I don't think we get all the emails that you guys get. So I've kind of felt like since I've been home, I just don't know what's going on in campus. And like, I um, am still kind of getting adjusted. <laughs> so I haven't really cared, I guess, all that much because I've been trying to get my act together. But I definitely um, feel disconnected in that way that I feel like I'm not getting, unless we're just not getting as many emails as we were when we were all on campus. But I feel like I've only gotten a few where we were getting like some sort of distressing email like daily when we were all on campus. So that brings me to, I want to read you an email that I received from, I think from, I think the development office wrote this email. Oh boy. <laughs> and I need, I want your thoughts on it. Cause I don't know if you received it. I think it might be a, okay. I think it might be a residential email. Okay. It's, it's subjected Gettysburg video contest. Oh, the face Mary's making is glorious. Dear students, we need your help. We want to share some fun videos about staying, sa staying safe on campus with COVID-19. If we try to make a fun video, it would look like this, but even less funny, and it's like some TikTok. Students are better than administrators at a lot of things. Wearing shorts in the winter, not having to ask IT how to use your phones, and we hope making cool videos. We'll be handing out prizes for the funniest slash most informative videos voted by your peers. For individuals, you can snag some Jeeber gear from the bookstore and for groups, you can have dinner out on us. We are looking for videos in three categories. Wear your mask. Why is wearing your mask important? When do you need to wear it? Be the example. How can individuals lead by example when it comes to following COVID-19 guidelines? Confronting your peers. This one is tricky, but how can you approach people who aren't following the guidelines? The content matter might be serious, but we hope you to we hope you to have some fun with these. Once you have your video, post it on your favorite platform and send us the link by replying to this email or sending it to and then it's um, an email of a guy who works in development. Thanks for your videos, and we hope that you stay lit, fam. Uh -huh. um, I definitely if I got that email I definitely didn't read it because I would have remembered that I oh my okay, God. Like we can, there's like, it sounds like my grandma was exactly given, like um random words and told to put in a sentence and she didn't know what they meant <laughs> yeah so like I'm already like obviously the like trying to be cool thing is its own beast um but like on a more serious note why is this happening now and I, I i understand maybe it's like a way to boost morale but at its core it is asking students to make videos educating other students on covid on also, things it's that not we should... funny at this point like y'all already screwed up we don't have time to be funny no more and like, it's asking them to make videos about things that we should all trust that students know. And the asking of it to be funny makes me so crazy. So like, I have a friend who um, got this email and she's very, most of my friends are incredibly fed up. We, like I've said on the podcast before, we live across the street from some houses that do not seem to care so we tend to get very fed up very quickly. And she wanted to uh, go outside of uh, the bullet hole 
and just kind of record her daily interactions with people like, oh, this is actually, you can't go in this way. This is actually an exit. You can't go in this way. Uh, you can actually pull your mask up and keep it up when you're talking to people. Like just like her having these conversations with people all day. And I'm like, you're going to end up getting punched in the face if you do that. But uh, I support it. Um, but I don't know. I just don't understand why they thought that that would be a good idea. I don't. I think I'm just so frustrated because it is very easy to wear your mask properly. And like, I shouldn't have to be told how to like confront someone about not wearing their mask properly. Like first off, they should just be doing it. And second off, like, I understand if you're like a young, like, a, a first year sophomore student who like is still finding their way but like we're all adults like yeah tell someone to wear their mask properly or like move away from the person that is not following the rules you know what I mean like you gotta like like me I was like you're not gonna wear your mask properly but I'm also not gonna like scream at you in the middle of a lecture so I'm just gonna do online class because you can't follow the rules um I just I feel like the time for funny videos was like orientation week, like maybe the first week of school. Like, I don't want funny right now. I want people to wear their masks properly and follow the rules so I can go back to school in January. Um, like senior year in my childhood bedroom is not ideal. Like people have it much, much worse. So I'm not like complaining, complaining, but this could have been avoided if people just followed the rules and they're not. And I, like, I don't know what else to say, but that's just, I mean, I, I respect the idea behind it. I get that they're like trying. I just feel like this is, this is a very weird request with like the timing of it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't know how I feel about that. That's just. So this is coming out of the development of a COVID-19 health ambassador program, which has been developed in conjunction with uh, college life, res life and development. Um, and the way it's working is that uh, students in like res life leadership positions. So like think, house leaders, RAs, RCs, people like that have been asked to become these COVID-19 health ambassadors. And now the staff member, like the adult staff members that are on campus are developing programming. So for example, I was just going through an email that I, I guess I hadn't read that uh, I got two days ago, which is talking about some of the programming that they're doing relating to COVID-19 education. Uh, so next week for our, so we get weekly testing on Mondays and Tuesdays. So I always get my tests on Tuesdays. Some people always get them on Mondays and they're going to be at the tents for that, which um, are outside of the Jager Center on Monday and Tuesday this week, asking students COVID-19 related questions and then providing them with like a goodie bag with like reminders and tips related to COVID and a sticker and Gettysburg hand sanitizer, which is like, whatever, like I could use some more hand sanity. Like I'm like almost done the bottle I have currently fine. And then they want to create engaging activities that also provide additional education on health expectations. 
And here's my feeling about that. I don't personally think that any like, uh, like uh, something on Engage Gettysburg saying to like come to come to Stein Lake at this time to have some engaging extra education about COVID nineteen is going to pull the audience that you want to be pulling. You're not going to pull anybody that's like not caring about the pandemic. And the issue right now is that we have a lot of students that do not care. And it's just not going to work. Right now, it's not a time for us to, I understand their idea because we're still in this ideology about not finger pointing. But like at the end of the day, people are getting sick and people are dying. And it's not the time for you to be handing out cute stickers saying like COVID-19 is real. When in actuality, the only people that are going to wear those things already believed it the whole time. Um, And I just don't see this going well uh, in terms of changing anything because it's not gonna, maybe you're empowering some students that already believed in that to be able to speak up maybe, but the pods of people, the certain clusters of people that are on campus that do not care are going to continue to not care unless they are facing actual repercussions within like disciplinary action. Yeah, I agree. I I don't really remember what our education on COVID was, like our little video thing at the beginning of the year that we all had to do. Um, but I definitely think it should have probably been a lot more um, like intense. I feel like maybe the college should have made like one of their own pertaining specifically to the health agreement, like making it so detailed that people actually had to read it. Um, Cause I know a lot of people that just signed it and didn't read it. And like some of the things that I'll talk about, they're like, what? I'm like, it's in the health agreement. Like, did you not read it? <laughs> um, so I, I think, but I, I understand where the college is coming from in that they're like trying to have these programs and like trying to reach out to people more and like it's real like please know what you have to do please follow the rules but the thing is like I also don't think they're gonna change anything like I totally understand why the college is doing it like I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea I just don't think anything will come of it you know what I mean and I don't want to call it a PR stunt because I really do think the college is trying to. Um, I really do think the college is trying to like educate people like I don't think it's a PR stunt but it I I don't think I I agree with you I don't think it's going to do anything which is really unfortunate I really think at this point it's you read the student health agreement you saw what happened when you didn't follow the student health agreement like you either actually have to follow the rules this time or yeah you'll have to get suspended I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I really, I agree. I don't think there's anything else we can really do until people start actually getting 
punishment repercussions like um, suspension or fines at least because people are just not listening. And I think that's the only thing that they'll start responding to. Girlfriend, you are muted. I had a very um, like small training period within Res Life. And I think that if they want to expand the student health ambassador thing, I think that that's a great thing to educate students on exactly where to report certain things. I think that that's great. I know one of my residents reached out to me yesterday about how to report a faculty member, which is just so sad to hear that we still have faculty members that are still not following these procedures. That, have, that makes me really upset. I had um, the same problem while I was on campus. I saw like really well-respected like professor that I looked up to in by ugly mug, this is when we could still go outside, um, by ugly mug talking to someone not six feet apart, not wearing a mask. And I was just so sad because I thought above all people, like they would have been wearing a mask um, and they weren't, which was really disappointing. I really, it's just a bummer. Yeah. There's like multiple instances of professors just not wearing a mask. I've heard really multiple sad. instances of professors not even following physical distancing, like within a classroom. And I just, I'm of the opinion really that like, I have some close relationship with professors, but like, those are professors that I've known for years. And I just can't imagine seeing a student on a first day and being even pre-COVID, seeing a student on the first day and being like, I'm going to get within their six foot bubble. Like, I feel like just as people, we don't do that. So like hearing their stories has been really upsetting. I'm really thankful in that all of my faculty members have been really, really great about that. But I think that also comes from like, uh, I think it depends on the environment that you're in. Uh, you know, so like, are you aware of it and are you, are you, uh, really cognizant of it? Um, yeah, but with the student health agreement, what I was going to say is with like student health ambassadors, at least, is that I think it would make sense to like teach students how to do that and be like empowering the ones that you're calling ambassadors to know how to handle those situations. But other than that, I just don't know how this programming could go well. Um, I think it's going to become like, like another, another joke, I think. Similar to like, you know, if, if you've been a long time listener of the podcast, you'll probably remember when Ben and I went on a tirade about Gettysburg Gives. And it just feels very, it feels very in line. With that, Mary's Mary's on mute, but is laughing her ass off right now. They both literally hate Gettysburg Gives. It is so funny. I don't really have that much of an opinion on it, which is why I'm laughing. Like, I don't love it, but I also don't despise it. So I just think it's funny you guys have such a strong opinion about it. Ben and I have a strong opinion about most things, though. Uh, yeah, but I think that I'm interested to see what happens. Like in general, um, I have some people that are like in my life that are still so certain that we're going home in a couple of weeks. So uh, I have no wood in my room to knock on. Cardboard works. <laughs> Cardboard it is. But uh, <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I'm just very interested to see how after, you know, you had to, like, I don't blame the college for having to send students home last semester. There's nothing they could have done about that. But I think this semester after that, just seeing the way that they choose whether or not to take responsibility or to put more of a responsibility on students, I think will be very interesting. I really hope that there is like a real plan in place for multiple scenarios for next semester. Um, Cause I don't, I don't know if the college has admitted it and like, I don't know if what I'm about to say is true, but in my personal opinion, it like seems very obvious that the college did a decent job like with planning for us to come back. Like they had the um, de-densified like return plan. They had the health agreement everyone signed. Like we had things in place. They Servo, I didn't have a meal plan, but Servo dramatically changed. Um, I could, I like heard about it from friends, but I didn't experience it. Um, and like they did all of these things and it was great and it sounded like it was probably going to work, but I feel like they got to like the, okay, students are coming back of better together and then stopped. And I think um, that was like kind of the downfall of their game plan. They didn't really seem, they had like the three strikes rubric, but they didn't really seem to know who was going to be getting people in trouble. Um, for example, you had mentioned um, like wanting to report an off-campus house and DPS was like, I, I can't, I don't have jurisdiction. And it's like, but those are students and we're expected to do this even when we're in the Gettysburg community off campus. So what do you mean that you like can't have jurisdiction? Um, and the college was like, well, DPS like runs um, health agreement violations. Uh, so I think they just thought that students were gonna sign it and follow it, which is just a very poor read on the student body of Gettysburg College. Um, and I'm not blaming um, President Giuliano particularly, like I'm not saying he's not to blame, but I'm not saying it's all on him. Like there's multiple administrators that have been here for decades that should have been like, this is not gonna work. Like we need actual like ways to reprimand these students in place. And I felt like it just wasn't there. I felt like um, like the first couple of like rule breaking they were like mm, it's okay like just don't do it again <laughs> and that's like super not what we needed um and then I feel like round two it was like oh I guess we actually have to start like getting tough on these kids and then everything exploded afterwards because it's like a pandemic so things move quickly um and I just feel like they thought we were going to follow the rules and when we didn't they kind of got scared and didn't know what to do with us. Um, and I just really hope that for January that there will be a much more black and white, um, this is our plan for when you break the rules. And I also would like a, and maybe this exists and we're just not privy to it as students, but I would hope there's some sort of plan that's like at this number, this is what happens at this number of positive cases. This is what happens because I feel like we all had this like magic number. I don't even remember anymore. Is it 105 or 120 of like that's when we get sent home because of positive 120, cases? 120, 5%, 120. So we had this magic number that was floating around 120. That's when everyone gets sent home. 
So when we were all told we were being sent home, we were all shocked because we were only at, I mean, we we're, it was crazy. We were at like 75 cases maybe, or like there had been 75, there was only like 50 some active, something like that. It's been weeks. I forget the exact numbers, but I feel like there should have been like, this is what's going to happen when there's this many cases. This is what's going to happen when there's this many cases. Obviously everything is subject to change because it's a pandemic. Things change. Like you got to roll up the punches with us, but this is like our broad outline of what we're thinking, why we're thinking it. Here's the science. Here's why Gettysburg can't do it at this breaking point. I just feel like there was no explanation of like a game plan. If like, the worst started happening it was just we're better together and you're coming back and then like no one really said anything until like all of the problems started happening I just feel like there wasn't a like plan b on like if like COVID happened at Gettysburg and I think that was the downfall and I think that's a great place to end it uh so we'll be right back with Alexander Sikonimu Garcia And I am joined with Alexandros Economou Garcia, uh, class of 22. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, obviously you've been involved in uh, Student Senate where this would be your third year. Um, tell me a little bit about your experiences on Senate, both like as a student and as like a student representative. Um, in terms of the, like, just the general vibe of the organization? No, yeah. So um, I think kind of, you know, I first joined Senate as just someone who just came to the meetings. I wasn't a student rep or um, or club rep or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so when I first joined, I just joined, just showed up to the meetings just saying kind of what was up, what Senate was like. Um, and kind of like there, I was kind of just like seeing a lot of interesting dynamics, especially two years ago, um, especially um, just dynamics in terms of, um, you know, the exchanges that were going on um, between senators and the exec board and then many issues along those lines. And one of the main things that I kept on hearing about um, was the issues of diversity and inclusion. And, you know, coming onto campus as a student who is, um, you know, I, as a student who is Latinx, um, I, participated in different programs such as the Mosaic program through um, the Office of Multicultural Engagement. And so kind of, you know, going on from there, that's what kind of started my interest in diversity and inclusion. And so um, I started attending Senate, just kind of getting the vibe. And I understand that was one of the big issues. In fact, um, in a quick shout out to Ivana uh, Lopez Espinosa, um, who, you know, kind of brought those issues to the forefront um, of, of not only Senate, but I do think that she definitely led um, a lot of the, um, you know, I think she definitely like led a lot of the conversations that were happening throughout campus in regards to diversity and inclusion and kind of brought it to the, and was one of the main people who brought it to the forefront um, of campus. And, you know, and, and to answer the second part of your question, kind of as a senator, um, you know, I definitely took it very, um, I, de I definitely took the position very seriously, especially noticing that I was the only um, representative who's Latinx. Um, I don't consider myself to be a person of color, um, but I do take the, you know, I do consider myself just to be part of the Latinx group. And I took that position very seriously because, you know, um, I guess if you look at Senate, you know, the makeup of it is very, um, you know, people are very similar. The backgrounds of people are very similar. Um, and so I took that position very seriously and offering different opinions 
and offer and um, you know and highlighting different issues that were going on campus that you know were being largely ignored by um, you know a lot of this large by senators and executive board members because you know they aren't necessarily impacted um, by those um, situations and so that was and so that was kind of my main one of my main things as you know as a senator um, which I was for my first year and my sophomore year. And then I know that over the last election uh, run, we saw a lot of conversations come up about adding an inclusion officer to the executive board as like a non-voting technocratic member. And then you were tasked um, within this ad hoc committee to come up with uh, essentially a proposal for adding this inclusion officer. So what was that like what was what what were kind of the main takeaways from that committee and what you guys kind of wanted to see in terms of what an inclusion officer would stand for? No, yeah. So kind of what it first started as is I received um is that, you know, I unfortunately did not get to win my election for Senator for the junior year, but you know, I still wanted to be a part of Senate and still, you know, help be a part of these conversations that were being had, especially with you know, the, the events that happened um, in Minnesota and throughout the United States um, um, in regards to, you know, just in regards to issues impacting the BIPOC uh, communities. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I received an email from, um, yeah, from Curtis, actually, um, in regards to being a part of the um, inclusion committee. Um, and through that, I, I applied um, and actually was then you know, a few days later, I actually received um, an email from Curtis asking me to become, asking me if I would like to be the chair uh, for the committee. And so, which I said, yes. Um, and from there on, um, I was introduced to my committee members. And then I would say, you know, around um, late July, beginning of August, uh, we started facilitating the discussion on, you know, on what we were tasked, which was the first task, which was the main task, which was um, providing recommendations for um, an executive an executive position, um, which would be the inclusion officer, and then the second task, which would be recommendations for, um, you know, recommendations for Senate um, in regards to diversity and inclusion, and making Senate what Senate can do, um, you know, to to be a place where you know everyone, no matter what their background is, um, you know, where they're able, where people in Senate, um, you know, no matter what their background is will be able to, you know, feel comfortable and be able to voice their concerns. And so that was kind of the main thing that, um, and so that's the second part of what we're tasked to do, which is what we're working on now. Um, and so the inclusion officer position, kind of when creating that position, I sat down with my committee members and I said, you know, we were just discussing issues that we heard from peers, what we've gone through, um, different experiences of what we've heard. And, you know, we were kind of looking for, you know, central themes, which was, one, education, two, advocacy, um, and three, which was like outreach and inclusion. And so those were the three main um, things that we were looking at when creating this position. You know, what can this position do to address these three themes? Because I think these are the three most important things um, that need to be addressed, especially um, within Senate in terms of getting other groups to participate. And so, and so with that, you know, we started formulating um, the recommendations and once we finished that, um, which we had finished, I think about like the first week of school, we sent it to um, the exec board, which then um, Lauren Browning, who's a parliamentarian this year, um, she then um, th 
through her policy committee, we then formatted it into amendments. And that's kind of just how the position came to be. And so, yeah. And now on Monday, so we're recording this on Tuesday, September 22nd. And so yesterday at Senate, Lauren presented the amendment um, and brought it to the floor for open discussion. And first in the, so we have obviously Senate over Zoom, but we had in the chat box, a conversation kind of start um, with some representatives from some of the conservative clubs on campus, like Young Americans for Freedom and College Republicans. Uh, the the quote that started all was, um, it is completely egregious to only include groups you view as diverse. And then a conversation kind of sprung up about uh, the inclusion officer being tasked with kind of being in strong communication with the cultural groups um, and those being considered what an inclusion officer would view as diverse. And the conversation kind of became this like debate about whether or not the inclusion officer, or maybe not even that, but just what we consider to be a diverse or a marginalized community. What were your takeaways from that, I guess, debate as what it became? No, yeah. And so I think, <clears throat> I think kind of going into this, I think I just want to first point out that, you know, diversity does include di the diversity of opinion. That is, you know, that is what the term diversity, it does cover, you know, diversity of thought and diversity of opinion. But that does not, and I think this is very important to note, the struggles and the experiences of students of color, um, students, you know, students who belong to BIPOC to the BIP, BIPOC community, um, students who belong to the LGBTQ plus community and other marginalized identities, their experiences on this campus compared to the experiences students have had based on their political ideologies is nowhere comparable. I think that should be the first thing that should be said. And saying how that they were flipped off were wearing a, you know, Make America Great Again hat, which I just want to say that should not have happened. But at the same time, you cannot compare, you know, your experiences based on your political ideology to the experiences that that the that marginalized identities, which include, you know, the BIPOC, LGBTQ plus groups have had not just now, but throughout history. And especially on this campus. I mean, again, like, look, like we're just creating this position. Before that, it was just the diversity chair. I mean, and I think that that should be the first thing that should be stated. Um, and, and the whole point of this position is to actually have these groups be represented. Because these groups, and these groups, I mean, what I've mentioned before, the BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and other groups, other marginalized identities, they have not been represented in Senate. They, you know, if you look at the senators, you know, I mean, they do not, I mean, they do not belong within these marginalized identities. I'm not saying all senators don't belong in it, but, you know, there is, I think, there is kind of um, people with similar backgrounds, I think, go for, you know, go for the affinity group leader, go for the center position. I mean, if you look at the affinity group leaders that were just chosen, I believe all of them are male. Um, I mean, I find this to be a little questionable. I mean, again, I don't want to question anyone's experiences or whatever they have under their belts. Um, but I think that's, that, you know, Senate does, the makeup of Senate is very, you know, I guess everyone's very similar. I think I'm just, that's what I'm just trying to say here. And I think that, you know, this position is to actually have these groups have their voices and have their concerns 
be properly addressed because I can tell you that as you know, as someone who's formerly the diversity chair, I mean, getting these issues to the forefront and having discussions, not only in Senate, but outside of Senate within different groups, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've had to deal with. So many, I've had to deal with so many obstacles, just having to, just trying to have discussions. And so I think, and meanwhile, you know, YAF and college Republicans, they've had representation on Senate. I mean, if you look two years ago, the president of YAF was also the president of the student Senate. Um, and, you know, and so I think, but, you know, you don't see the same thing happening with students who belong to LASA or anything like that. In fact, if you look at the executive board from the past, I believe three, since my freshman year, um, I don't believe any of them were members of BSU, LASA, um, or any group like that. Um, and so, and so the, the goal of this position is to actually have someone who can connect with these groups, who can actually get information from these groups, who can understand the issues that they're going through. Um, because again, these issues, and to actually, because again, like these groups don't feel comfortable with coming to Senate because in the past, I'm sure, and I'm sure you've also seen this too, Gari, with, I mean, being in Senate all the time too, like, you know, they are met with some form of hostility in the past. I mean, it's been, I mean, every week it's been kind of the same thing that's um, been going on in the past. I'm not saying that happened this year, but, you know, just throughout the past, I mean, again, their, their voices were undermined. And I think that's is what should be said about that. And again, I think, and I think no one disagrees that, you know, that people should not be targeted based on their political political ideology. But at the same time, you cannot, you cannot at all, I mean, compare that to what students of color have got have gone through on this campus. Yeah, and I think it's also really interesting. I think you brought up a really good point in referencing that uh, Nick Arba, who was president two years ago, was also president of Young Americans for Freedom at the time, because then that's like a direct line of representation exactly. um, that existed and from just the level of like, regardless of where he's siding, this is a conservative student who is in a position of power um, who then can represent conservative students. But we haven't seen, um, you know, this is the fourth year um, for me that I'm seeing a, a white man as president of Senate. And the argument used to be that people of color weren't running, that um, queer students weren't running, but we're seeing an increase in both of those communities running for Senate, but we're not exactly seeing an increase in them being elected. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I think that something that's really important to look at is a lot of this comes from what we're seeing within funding and what we're seeing within the Budget Management Committee, which has been a conversation um, since when you entered Gettysburg, really, like we started seeing conversations about how um, specifically BIPOC like groups coming in, like um, uh, International Club, like LASA, like BSU, when they came in for funding the experiences they had versus groups that weren't more culturally based. And I think also something that was brought up during the meeting that I thought was really important was that this would also be um, an officer that would be attending not only just these cultural clubs meetings, but the higher, larger committees that the college runs, which are talking about inclusion. And I think exactly. regardless of like what clubs we define as wanting to be, you know, the cultural clubs on campus, I think it's really important for a student 
to be representing other students in conversations with administrators. I think that that's something that exactly. we can see across the board has been the conversation of this semester, the way that um, situations with COVID-19 and becoming a remote situation again, students were talking about more student represent representation in these larger conversations. So with the, um, uh, like, with the campus climate study and with these committees that are based in diversity and inclusion, we need to see what students want. And the only way for us to do that is to talk to students. Um, exactly. And if I can, oh, if I can also really quickly add, um, no, yeah, like that was something that, yeah, exactly what you're just saying, like they're part of the campus climate committee bar. But I also want to say that these, that these, um, that the inclusion officer and um, the inclusion committee um, members um, which which is tagged along with inclusion officer recommendations. I I should have brought that up too. Um, you know they are not only attending cultural groups, but they're also attending Prism, Phoenix Rising, which represents neurodiverse students who are largely um, not dis not represented on this campus. In fact, I believe we're one of the, we're actually one of the few institutions that doesn't provide doesn't have a separate office for um, neurodiverse students. Um, I, th I believe I, I'm pretty sure we are, and and so and so exactly like these students just don't represent cultural groups, but they represent other marginalized identities such as the LGBTQ plus community, um, neurodiverse students, and we also um, include the need that the inclusion officer needs to have a strong understanding of Title IX, um, and you know have communication with the Women's Center, which I think is something that is largely ignored um, when we talk about diversity and inclusion because um, because again you know. Um, because again, like we, a lot of the, because when people think about diverse inclusion, you know, it's not just based on your race and ethnicity, but it also includes sexual orientation, gender, you know, neurodiversity, and things like that. Sorry right. to interrupt you, by the way. So, no, you're yeah. fine. And I think that that's also a really big conversation to have because these are issues that are disproportionately affecting um, students on campus that are within these identities. You know, we've seen, uh, I, I know that for me, when I was doing training for ResLife, uh, Ron Wiathi, who is kind of in charge of conduct, was doing a presentation and was talking about bias incidents. And he said that with the current political climate, as well as with COVID-19, they were expecting there to be a larger amount of bias incidents on campus. Um, obviously, we don't know the statistics yet, but I think that it's fair to say that things are heating up as we get closer and closer, closer to election time, as well as with there being such a larger political conversation regarding COVID-19 and decisions being made within the college and how students are feeling about that. And I think that regardless of your identity, an inclusion officer is being tasked with the idea of everyone feeling safe and um, empowered to, you know, reach the, their full expectations of what they wanted from college. And, you know, perhaps that will end up including political thought um, to an extent in that having everyone feeling safe to bring up conversations that are tougher that we should be having on a liberal arts campus. And I think that's where it all comes back to is that we're supposed to be this liberal arts campus. We're supposed to be able to have these tough conversations. And how can we do that if we're not feeling as though we're not being represented in the groups that we're supposed to be discussing in and that we're not going to be um, respected and included um, when we enter those spaces. And I think that's been the conversation around student senate for as long as I can remember, is discussing how to not only be a, a diverse 
space and including space, but also provide that equity line that we just haven't seemed to find yet. Um, exactly. And for you now going in, obviously this is going to, this amendment's going to come back to policy committee on Thursday and then perhaps be re-presented on the following Monday. What are you hoping to see from that discussion as people are kind of reevaluating um, this idea of an inclusion officer? You know, I think that people need to realize that their experiences are different, especially members of Senate, because this the goal of this officer is to have the voices of students who are not properly represented in Senate. You know, they're there to provide them that not that voice, but they're there to at least bring up their issues and their conversations. And the creation of this position is extremely important. And you know, and I just want to point out that, you know, and you already mentioned, like, other clubs have had, you know, their representation on Senate, even on the exec board. And I think that for this, and, and I think that this position is needed almost, in, I would say immediately, and it's been needed for a while at Gettysburg. And I think that this is the right direction that Senate needs to take. Because again, you know, and please feel free to pull this up for previous meetings from every president from the past year saying Senate works for you. But in reality, right now, Senate doesn't work for everyone. It works for a certain group of students. And this position will actually, will actually help make Senate actually work for all students, or at least you know, work for as many students as possible of Gettysburg, at Gettysburg. And that's kind of the main thing that I'm hoping that people will realize in that, you know, and again, like, yes, like you shouldn't be like, you know, people shouldn't be like rude to you based on your political ideology. But at the same time, though, you need to understand that the experience of other students on this campus is, I mean, it's nowhere comparable to that. And it's nowhere comparable to the experiences that people have gone through. And I think that that's something that, you know, should be recognized. And I think that this position is extremely important and that going forward, like, that, you know, in terms of like changing the position and adding things, I think people should be very wary about that because my committee and I purposely made it so that, you know, the three themes that I mentioned before are addressed and that there are ways for, you know, this exec board, you know, this exec, whoever has this position, for them to be able to understand the issues that are going on in different clubs with that committee. And so that's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, and like, and honestly, like, I'm very proud of this position because I've been because I've been an advocate for diversity and inclusion since my freshman year, and I think that you know this is just like something that I put a lot of effort in, as long along with my committee members, which I just want to also give a quick shout out to because I feel like they're also not getting recognized a lot of the time. But and so that's what I'm hoping people people think about going forward. And I think that that's kind of the main you know takeaway is that you know this is this is needed almost immediately, um, and you know, and yes, we can go over like, oh, but like, I want to be represented and things like that. You know, this position, yes, they might be attending these club meetings, but you know, you can reach out to whoever receives it, has this position and you can voice your concerns about, you know, what is happening, um, what is happening to you. If you're a member of like, you know, college Republicans and, and a situation where someone does to you, someone flips you off or wearing, you know, the red Make America Great Again hat, like, like the example that was brought up, I think at the meeting, you know, you can tell that to the inclusion officer, 
you can bring that concern to the inclusion officer and they'll relay that to the proper channels. And so I think that that's something that people also don't really realize is that, you know, that they can still do that for them. They just, and again, like, and I, one more thing I actually wanted to really quickly mention too, and I'm so sorry for like, I keep on talking, but you know, this, you know, the, the committees that, and the, um, and the club meetings that they go to actually reflect and talk about ideas of diversity and inclusion. While, you know, the more political ones, they wouldn't attend like college Democrats or college Republicans um, because, you know, they talk about politics. They don't talk about diversity and inclusion and what their communities go through. So I think that that's one of the main, another key takeaway too. I actually wanted to mention in the beginning that I just forgot about, but here it is. But, you know, I think that's like the thing that people should keep in mind. And I think that, you know, but again, this is a this is a very important position that needs to be had, and it cannot be rushed. Um, and or and and if there is a change, you know, I think that people should be very, very careful with what changes they put forward. Because again, my committee we took forever with this, but we did it because we knew how important this position was, and we wanted to make sure that what we are giving Senate was something that wasn't just half at half, you know, just created really quickly, and that was that could be seen as performance activism. You know, we wanted something that was actually detailed and actually, you know, provided outreach and provided these things. So that's all I'm going to say because I'm taking too much time. But yeah, I think that's a great place to end it. So thank you so much for joining me, Alex. And I look forward to seeing what ends up happening. That's it for today's On Target. We would like to thank Alexandros Iconwu-Garcia for being our featured guest today. We would also like to thank the staff of the Geddes version and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to On Target on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a 2019 graduate of the Centerman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. I don't know who our guests will be, but I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, Stay masked, stay healthy, stay whatever they're trying to have you stay, and have a good week.